Right. Glory to Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this is class three uh, of Introduction to Spirituality, to Eastern Spirituality by Father Joseph. Father, could you please begin us with prayer? Oh, Holy Spirit, mighty defender, oh, I love you, comfort you. Tonight, we've got to talk about the man we all love, Jesus Christ. Just who is he? We know already he's the second person in the Blessed Trinity. We want to talk about that and remind you a little bit of what we talked about in the energies of God, creative and divine energies, and how the mediator of those energies to us is from the incarnation and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Christ is the great high priest. What a magnificent gift of the Father to us. That we gotta go back a little bit so we can get our foundation back in. And we're gonna say a few little things. Again, to remind you that man is created in the image and likeness of God. That's from the first session. The revealed truth teaches us of God to recognize the image of God in man. St. Gregory Palamas, we talked about him, quote, the word man is not applied to either the soul or the body separately, but to both together, since together they have been created in the image of God. Remember, body, soul, and divinity. Now, and God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Saint Irenaeus says, image of God is, is in man. The image of the Son is of God, whose image man was made. So actually, the icon of man is Jesus Christ. Now, we worship the icon of Jesus Christ because his energies are in there. But when you look in the mirror, you have an icon, Jesus Christ. Gorgeous, huh? To be a man. Or a beautiful woman. Gorgeous. Especially if they're alive in Christ in his divine energies. Now, our participation is revealed in Christ, the divine icon, the Son of the Father. Man is made in the divine image, Toto. His image has to do with the human makeup itself. <clears throat> this nature was destroyed by sin. We went into that before. And a choice, a sin is really a choice against your nature. You're doing something against your nature, your destiny. Our difficulty in our ascent toward the good it's called free will. And this is the creation of the created will of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man was created for deification. Nature and grace exist in each other at Pleroma, an atmosphere of divine love. This must be in concord of the divine and human will 
to accomplish this deification. The will orients man toward God, in whom man finds his being, body, soul, and divinity. Now you all know that. You've all got that memorized. That's just a little review for you. So what is sin? It's a loss of our orientation to God. So we, we lose our vocation. We forget who we are when we sin, okay? And Adam was called the deification. And we are called the deification because of the new man, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, who brings us a fresh deification. Now, what about death? It's a very sad thing. If you get unhappy about death, that's okay. You were not made for death. You were made for life. And our great enemy is death. We're meant to live forever, so don't get, don't get upset. Well, I shouldn't worry about death. You should worry about death. Because you only have this short life to get right with God, as they say. But you're made for life. So death, sin, or nature separate us from God. And God's incarnation overcomes these barriers. And 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Incarnation and deification mutually imply each other. Union of the human natures, human divine, in the glory of the power of the resurrection. And we talked about that. Remember the lady and the, the celloist at the symphony. This hypostatic wisdom of the father, he built himself a house. And I want to read to you a little bit from scripture. And this is the epistle to the Hebrews, one of my very favorite books. The, the consensus of the fathers is that this book was written by St. Paul. Others wish to say other things, I just ignore them. Now, <clears throat> Holy Brethren, this is chapter 3, towards the end. Now Moses was a faithful to all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ, faithful over God's house, is a son. Then to sort of amplify that, I'll say, the wisdom of father built himself a house. The most pure flesh of the virgin is soon by the word. Saint Philotheus of Constantinople. Now today, we celebrate in the church the entrance of the virgin into the temple. Think about this. The icon, really, of Christmas is the Platatira. She who the whole world, he who the whole world could not contain, was contained in the wound of the Virgin Mary. So Moses and the, all these temples, they built two temples. Not Moses, but uh, Solomon's temple, finally the second temple. And they were building this to contain God. Make a man open, Brazio came, the flame and the cloud. That same flame and cloud came over the Virgin Mary when she became the new temple. She became the Ark of the Covenant. And so she said, it, let it be to me according to your word. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, descended into her very inmost being, to her womb. She was to be a birth to the Son of God. What did she do there? She fitted to the Word of God, second person of Blessed Trinity, flesh and blood. So Jesus has the eyes of Mary, the hands of Mary, the skin of Mary, the hair of Mary. He didn't have any human father. This holy incarnation, the priest who bridges heaven and earth, God and man in one divine tabernacle, born of the womb of the Virgin. So when Mary came to the temple, there entered in the true Ark of the Covenant. Now let's go on a little bit about that. And I want to say to you about the high priest, and we're back in, in Hebrews. 
Since we have this great high priest who's passed into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We're not as high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. I like that part. It came for our weakness. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, the divine energies, and we receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. We have a powerhouse on our side now, the divine deposit of the divine energies. Then again, I have another quote for you. <clears throat> now this goes back into the Old Testament a little bit. But before I say that, I want to quote, Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now this Melchizedek is a mysterious person, you know, in the Bible. In Genesis, appears in Genesis. First of all, he has no genealogy. Nothing is said of his death. He receives tithes from Abraham, implying his superior rank. Melchizedek makes king of righteousness, and the title of king of Salem means king of peace. He may be a thenophany, a, a pre-incarnational appearance of Christ. You never heard that before, did you? Offers Abraham bread and wine, a prefigurement of the body and blood of Christ. Majesty, in this text, is a big biblical name for God the Father. Melchizedek was Noah's oldest son, Shem, we think. Led to the time of Jacob and Esau, about a thousand years. Now, what does that mean? Well, I tell you, I'm going to tell you a little bit about time in the book of Genesis. In God's mind, time is really a sort of revelation of our limitedness. When he made creation, he this time, the time it took, was sort of endless. But in the Jewish commentaries, which the apostles knew, and Jesus knew, it says there that once Adam sinned, time began to shrink. Paradise began to shrink. And when Noah made his sacrifice after he landed on the earth with the ark, he offered a sacrifice to God, a covenant sacrifice, and God told him there would be enmity between him and the earth. Read your Bible. It's hard and it'll read it. So at that point, time began to shrink. Ages began to shrink. Eternal life was done. And paradise disappeared. That's a Jewish commentary. It's not really... Maybe it's pertinent or not, but it helps us think about time. Now this Melchizedek, he's a wonderful person. Because, you know, the genealogy of Christ Jesus is the Father and the Virgin. That's it. The incarnation is remarkable in itself. And it gives a new birth to time where the first day is the eighth day, and we all live in eternity forever. It is part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about the Virgin. You see, you know, I, I told you a few weeks, a week or two ago about my experience about Mariology and the lack of knowledge of it. There was a lot of it in the controversies about the Incarnation, because the principal thing that had to be acknowledged was this, that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. If that is not true, we are not redeemed. The two have to come together to restore the new Adam. And that is the high priest, Jesus Christ. Now the Eucharist, one of my favorite things in the whole New Testament is I think about Luke 22 or 2 or 22 or something like that, on the road to Emmaus. 
and they're walking along, they're lamenting, they're leaving Jerusalem. And this man they don't know comes up to them. And they say, they say don't you know about what all the great things that happened in Jerusalem? How the great prophet was amongst us, etc., etc. And he begins to explain to them the meaning of the Old Testament and the prophecies. Remember, we have a lot of phony religions around. Jesus Christ is the only religious figure that fulfilled the, uh, the prophecy of, of his coming and what he was. Nobody else did that. In fact, most religions are just dealing with philosophy and humanism. That's all they are. Now, let's get back to it. When we think of this, this Jesus Christ, born of the womb of the Virgin Mary, the one we celebrate at Christmas in the Plata Tira, the great icon. It's in every church behind the holy table. Very important. That's the Christmas icon. Think about it. His touch, his words, his giving of himself on the cross, conquered death, opened the gates of heaven, bring rejoicing back to the world, and restored time to eternity. Very important to know. So this is called the economy of the Father. How we are, let's put it there, how we are saved. How are we saved? Well, it's simple. We're only saved in as much as we participate in the divine life of the Holy Trinity. So in one of our quotes tonight, we had that business that says it's like this. It says that man was created in the image of the likeness of God. And salvation is only recognized in our participation in the life of that life-giving God, the Holy Trinity. So, we have many ways to do that, but only because our Blessed Lady was the mother of this primal sacrament of the Church. You've heard me say that before. The primal contact. And we celebrate the recreation of the world, the eighth day of heaven on earth, in the temple we build to worship God in, with the Plata Tira behind the altar, and Christ, remember the season, he who made everything on the ceiling, and the sacred liturgy. In the sacred liturgy, we don't have just a figure like Melchizedek, but we have fulfilled what Mekizetek himself was telling us. So what we have in the sacred liturgy is this. A meal with the Holy Trinity. The mystical supper. And all through that liturgy, you know, we have all sorts of signs which are pregnant with meaning. The procession with the gifts, the preparation of the gifts. The point where it's the body of Christ prepared, pre-blessed, and proscomedia is brought and placed on the holy table on the shroud, the antimensia. We say the Eucharistic prayer. We bring down the Holy Spirit like fire upon the earth. And with the fire comes the Holy Trinity into the Holy Eucharist. It's primarily the body and blood of Christ, but if he's there, so is the Father and the Son. You can't break up God. And finally, during that beautiful prayer, the priest takes, breaks the bread, the onions, the lamb. He drops a portion into the precious blood, and it's the resurrection. And you know, we use hot water there, because it's not a dead body. It's not cold blood, it's warm, living body of Christ. The liturgy is gorgeous. It contains the mystery of salvation in reality in our participation in the body and blood of Christ. But first we must be baptized and chrismated. Then we may see receive the Lord in a holy meal. That's why it's so important that our children, even from babies, should be baptized and chrismated, receive the body and blood of the Lord. Why deprive them of this? They're innocent. 
further, further for our own spirituality. We didn't go to, Jesus did not give us the divine liturgy as a means of adoring him alone. It is the worship of God, but he brings us there to participate in his divine life. The mystical supper, the mystical presence of God comes into our hearts, warms us, and gives us more of the divine energies so we can really live the Christ-filled life for deification. Very important. So that's our second point in this lecture is that we know who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. We know who he operates. We know who his son is, the great high priest, and what we receive, especially through the sacramental liturgy. Now, there's much more to be said about that. I recommend Schultz's book on the Divine Liturgy. It's an excellent book, maybe hard to find, but it's magnificent in what it explains to you. I recommend it to everybody. There are other good books also, but I recommend that one for you. Now, uh, if, as we go on uh, through this, uh, this lesson this evening, we talk about the response or how the Christian should live to bring himself the celebration of life with the Holy Trinity. It's not a mystery. I was in England many years ago, serving as an Air Force chaplain. Enjoyed it very much. And we had an ecumenical meeting. I really uh, didn't um, care for that too much, but uh, I did value meeting other people of other denominations who were chaplains. Uh, they, many of them were devout Christians. However, they missed something, didn't they, if they didn't have the Eucharist. They didn't have the theology, the mysterium theology, the mystical theology of the Eastern Church. It wakens everything up for everybody. They believed, they read their Bible, they didn't study the Fathers, they didn't study the text of the liturgy, they didn't have it. They didn't have this beautiful package that we have. It's a perfect package. So uh, they had a mystic, quote, mystic, come to talk at one of the chaplain's meetings. Everybody, whether they like it or not, is interested in prayer. Everybody's trying to strive for prayer. They want an experience of God. We offer that in our beautiful Eastern mystical theology. Now, so they had a dinner, and I enjoyed that. I always liked to eat a good meal. And then he gave a talk. And I listened to him. He wasn't particularly knowledgeable of the East, Christian East. He didn't know the theology of grace in the East, the divine energies. So I listened to him. And then the, most of these chaplains were married people. So after dinner, they wanted to get home. I was the uh, resident celibate. So he said, well, Father, will you drive him to the train in Cambridge, which I did. This was in the Fens. Uh, in Cambridge, and that's where lots of famous things we can't talk about now, like the Magna Carta and stuff took place there. But anyway, I was in the car with him. I said, well, this is my opportunity to talk with you. And I says, well, I said, if we know so well the path, the ladder to spiritual perfection, I says, why aren't there more mystics and men of deep and women of deep prayer in the in the world? He says, oh, we know, but he says we don't always try to do it. Now, some of our churches, some of our people, they're good people, but they're not extending the theology of mystical theology of the church. They go to the sacraments, they say their prayers. And they work hard. They raise families. They say, well, we don't have time for this, Father. We've got to make time. So that what he told me was probably the truth. He says, so very few people have actually tried to live the mystical life. Now, people say to me, well, Father, I don't have a spiritual father. I call, people call on the phone at the monastery, they want a spiritual father. Well, you do have a spiritual father. 
If you can't find a, a, a resident mystic, they're hard to find. You have the Bible. You have, you have the uh, Fathers of the Church. You have all these wonderful books about spirituality. I hope they're Eastern. Don't get confused. And they will give you clues. You have the Sacrament of Penance. Sacrament of Penance in the Eastern Church is not just say your sins, get absolution and go out and do it again. No, no, no. It has to be a real insight. So for the confessor, sometimes it's difficult because people come in with their laundry list of what they've done wrong and you, you sit and listen, you have to be polite. But they don't give you the key of why they did it. If you tell the confessor why you did it, he may be able to give you some direction how to overcome that problem. So that when you come to the liturgy and receive the Eucharist, those divine energies really sink in because you've taken the obstacles away. Otherwise, you hear the same thing with the same person for years and years and years. And some priests, God love them, don't get the chance to tell you. They say, well, how much should I tell them? Or can I tell them anything? I was hearing confessions one time, and this woman came in to me, and she was confessing in Hungarian. Well, my Hungarian is negligible. I don't know how anything in Hungarian. So I said to her, and she had a big list of saints. I knew enough to know what sort of lesson she was saying. And she's going on this saint and that saint and all these saints. And I said to her, well, well it's not necessary to read so, so many saints. Uh, and when you make your confession, you can make a few of your favorites and then get on with your confession. She says, Father, honey, just shut up and let me make my confession. So I learned a long time ago, you should not be interfering with people's confessions. But... You want them to be honest, and you want to be able to give them a word of advice to how to make, to suppress in their life. Now, the other problem is this. It takes a lot of experience for the priest in hearing confessions, in prayer and reading, to be able to come a good, become a good confessor. Sometimes people only want absolution. That's fine. But some people want a little bit of word of grace in their life from that confessor. Now, we won't go into the quality of life of the priest, but it's just a little hint to help him deal in confession with formation of conscience and spiritual direction. It's important. Most people come and say to me, I can't find a spiritual father. Well, it's hard work. And when you get there, you probably don't know it. A one kind word of encouragement and a little something to teach them, a book, a way to read scripture, a way to, to pray deeper, is very welcomed by most of these beautiful, sincere people that come to confession. Others are not too sincere. They just want absolution and get on with it because they don't want to relive it in sin. That's fine too. Every person you must find where they are and bring them along, you know, and that about going to confession too, you should really go to confession. So first step is to free myself from personal sins so that my will and the will of God are in harmony. Then the doors are open for what God can do for us. Because he says, this person is a beautiful person struggling to do the will of God. The struggle is worth the effort. It's where you merit, as they like, the Romans like to say, that's where you gain grace and the entree into the Holy Trinity. That's the first point, that's the first point this evening, after he found out who Jesus was. Now, Jesus Christ is not a lawyer. He was a Pharisee. He liked the law. He liked to fight about it with them all the time. Because 
you can mistake sin as important. <laughs> it's not important at all. The fact of the matter is, sin is an obstacle. It means you lost your goal. People get discouraged. That's because they don't spend enough time in considering who they are and their dignity to God, that he wants them to confess their sins and grow in loving kindness. Loving kindness is from Jesus Christ. Loving kindness is why he gave you a priest to hear your confession. Loving kindness is why he feeds you on the Holy Eucharist. The Father is standing there with his arms open to you. So I recommend, especially now that Christmas is approaching, make a good confession. It doesn't mean listing everything. How many times you yell at your husband or you beat the cat. You must say something like, I sinned against charity because I did not consider enough my husband's feelings or the love I could destroy by being nasty. Or it can be the husband's question. You know, the husbands, sometimes they work so much, they forget to work on the marriage. The wasted way to work in marriage. Amen, hello? Become a spiritual leader. If you're a spiritual leader in your house and you pray with your wife and children, for the most part, you're going to be a success. If that doesn't work, then pray for the conversion of your wife. Or wife, pray for the conversion of your husband. If we're not at least... Let us be a success at home as we work so hard to be successes in the world and make money. I like money too, you know. But it's not everything. You can't take it with you, as they say. You know, there's no uh, bank accounts in hearses. There's no big... Uh, trailer to take all your garbage with you to the grave. There's not room. It's a small place. But if you're a holy relic, it's a precious place. We're in the business in the church of making relics, making saints. And that's why we want you to be, for us, the most holy part of the mystical body of Christ. Now let's get back to the high priest. The high priest who died on the cross, shed his blood to sanctify you. The church was born from the sight of Christ from his body and from the wine and water that came from inside, the blood and the white fluid that comes out of a body. I don't know too much know much about bodies, but they sort of disintegrate, you know, all these liquids come out of you. For Christ, his body did not undergo decay. But he shed his blood and his white fluids to sanctify you, to make you holy. And we drink his body and drink his and eat his blood. Drink his eat his body and drink his blood in a holy meal, so that that body can be sanctified. So when it comes to you to time to, and the body grows old, and it's falling apart, it's got to be sacred to the community. I do not approve of. Chrismation. My brother priests know that. It's a horrible thing. I should remember that this body was a gift of God that was made in the image of the new Adam, Jesus Christ, and it was filled with the divine energies. It's a holy object. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but it should return to the soil from which it was created for it. I'll tell you a story little European story. I asked my grandfather one time, I says, where were our family buried in Europe? He says, in the churchyard. And I said to him, well, how many people were buried there? He says to me, I don't know, maybe. He says, well, how many How many has been buried there? He says, I don't know, maybe for 800 years. I don't know. I don't think they had the name Stanitra for 800 years. I think we've only had names for a couple hundred years, you know. But anyway, 
I said, well, you know, in America, everybody gets their own grave. I mean, they only had two graves. I said, I can bury everybody in two graves. He said, well, everybody's in drop dead at one time. He says, you take one out, you bury him, you open the next grave, you bury the bro. I said, what if you find something in there? He said, take the shovel and push it on the side. I said to him, well, you know, we Americans, we like to have our own grave. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, do not complain about coming from the wound of their mother. Why should we complain about going into the wound of the earth? We have made out of death and burial something horrible. Second point. Our most important thing to have when we fall asleep in the Lord is prayer. True Christian ceremony of the laying of a holy relic into the earth and pleading for the journey to the next world where beautiful things will happen to us on the eighth day. This Christian who lives on this earth in pilgrimage, who is filled with the graces of the Holy Spirit, the divine energies, who is part of the body of Christ <coughs> because that body gave forth all those beautiful energies and received that same life in the Holy Eucharist. It's not my body, it's Christ's body. His life is in me. I love it. When you pray, sink into your heart and remember who you are and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't talk too much. Just fall in love to what you are because you're baptized, chrismated, and filled with the body and blood of the Christ and the Holy Mill. You are a mystic. Take time to realize it. Remember the guy from England, nobody tries or not enough. Don't you be caught in that trap. I'm too busy. Well, you know, when you're laying on your deathbed, all the busy goes away. You don't care about that blessed thing. Unless they got you so drugged up, you don't know what you're doing. That's wrong too. The rich man, the poor man, the man, the woman, the child, their vision must be of God. And they must realize they're going to their heavenly home. No, we don't like death, but it's a doorway to new life. Now, I only have one other thing to say because I got to ask these questions. Don't make them too tough for me because I didn't bring all my books with me, you know. The other thing I have to say to you is, of this season of the Incarnation, we have this beautiful feast today, Mary entering the temple, which fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies. Magnificent. You prepare yourself by realizing that you are the temple. And when you go to the sacred liturgy and you receive the Eucharist, Christ is entering you. And when you go into that temple, you are entering paradise. The doorway to new life on the eighth day. Okay, I'm ready for questions now. All right. We have a question from, and I, I'm, he will correct me, I'm sure, if I don't get it right. But uh, you said, Father, that uh, at one point, um, the image of God uh, in man and the image of Jesus in God and image of man in Jesus. You, you, different you know you pointed that out uh, and the question is, is uh how does this work and and how um how can we see the other the mankind of jesus um or or the other ways that we can understand jesus how can we see this can't you see people in the street hello they all look like jesus mm. that jesus christ you know in the old testament said show us god let us see the father the Father sent his Son, and we looked at him. We not only saw the Father, we saw God the Father, too. Not only on Jesus, but God the Father. John's Gospel tells us that. Mm. It's very simple. Read that Gospel. I and the Father are one. He is in me, I am in him. John's Gospel. Not only is he in, is the Father in, in Jesus, he's in you through the sacraments. And your prayer life, 
So when I meet you, I should really say, hello, Jesus. You are a revelation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, if you live that life, people will detect that in you. It's just not a word game. It's an ontological reality of who we are. So when you pick up your, you know, Irenaeus, no, it wasn't Irenaeus, no. I'm trying to think of the right father now. Arius. He's sort of a heretic. No, not Arius. What's the one of the early heretics? So. Anyway, it'll come to me. His father, they had a party because the baby was born and they had the baptism. So uh, all of a sudden, they can't find the father. And so they go looking for him. They said, well, maybe he had a few drinks and he's tipsy and he fell under the table. Who knows what happened? Well, where they found him was kneeling at a little whatever bassinet or whatever they had a basket wherever they used and the and he says what are you doing he says i'm worshiping god in my infant son do you do that daddy huh so every man is made in the icon of god in the icon of jesus christ the new adam and his potential is to be deified and Athanasius says it this way, everything that Jesus Christ took up in the incarnation, you will have in the resurrection. All of it. You will be another Christ. Glorified and beautiful, shining with the divine energies of God. That's, the Christian, that's what the Christians are supposed to be. That's where we're going. Huh? What do you think of that? I, personally, I, personally I, I, how do you how apply, do you apply that, that in, in, in practice? practice? Become deified so that you feel the energies inside of you when you pray and realize who you are. Respect yourself and know that your hands are Jesus' hands, your feet are Jesus' feet, your butt's Jesus' butt, whatever you want to think about. You know in the Eastern Church, the best way to baptize a baby, I know it's not done all the time, is take him, strip him down, and push him down in the water, throw the water over his head, don't drown him, three times, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because you're Christify him, you're turning him into a Trinitarian person. The whole person, his eyes, his ears, his penis, everything belongs to God. It's consecrated. These children, if they knew that, they might respect themselves a little more. Got to teach them that. That's why we have to live a life of purity too, so the energies can come into us. How's that? And yeah. face these. Yeah. Face these when you baptize a baby. Not the left, left <laughs> wall, the right wall. Face these. Then hold him this way or, or that way. Tell you a little story about that. I was baptizing uh, Father Andrew's little niece. She was a little thing in, in the mission. I was out of the mission. We had a big pot, you know, a big tray. And I had her in there, and I was holding on to her, and she swam away from me in the baptismal water. And everybody was looking. I had to grab her and get her back because she was swimming right through the baptismal water. It's amazing. what She was full of life. Beautiful. So effectively, I'm telling you that the sacraments make it so. So be careful what you do with what you are. You are sacred to God. He's taking a gamble on us. Father, uh, how should someone go about uh, approaching a potential spiritual father um, and asking if he will be a spiritual father um, or, or a helper in, in finding one? I, I think the question is, I, understanding that that kind of Question: uh, Asking us a, a potential spiritual father could be a little awkward. How does how does one go about asking such an important question? Um, I don't know how you ask for the question. Um, the primary obligation of the spiritual father is to pray for the people he's taken under his care. 
it's not anything more. Uh, if you want spiritual direction and things like that, you have to find a knowledgeable person. But unfortunately, we don't have courses for spiritual fathers. They have to they have to have the experience of it by their lives and be transformed by it before they can really give direction. So a knowledgeable priest is a great help, but unless he has gone through the, the ropes and has reached a certain understanding of the spiritual life, he may be giving you his book learning, but he's not telling you about the experience. And maybe he doesn't want to tell you about the experience. And maybe he thinks, well, why don't you suffer until God gives it to you? Well, that takes a lot of effort. Sometimes a lifetime. But holy longing is the first step. Desiring it is the first step. Beautiful step. Maybe some people don't get any further than that. You know, it's very delicate and beautiful. But read the fathers and read the Bible in an understanding way. Uh, and spend quality time with God. Quality time with God changes you opens you up so you can ask well how do you spend quality time with god by prayer heartfelt prayer when you're like i talk about the road to emmaus beginning when your heart burns within you you're starting that's what happened to them that's what's going to happen to you when your heart burns within you you know you're going somewhere. It's not every day, but it's a beautiful thing. When you fall in love with the liturgy, you're going somewhere. When you love Christ more than anything else in the church, our beautiful church, you're progressing. But if you just sit around worrying about, worrying about your navel and what you want and this and that and your sins, you're wasting your time. I mean, thousands of people spend thousands of hours worrying about their sins. It doesn't help them. Worry about God. Tell him how sorry you are, how much you want to love him, how you suffer for that love. So spiritual fathers are hard to find because even your parish priest, so much is demanded of him. The money, the, the administration, the books, the computer, getting a sermon together, trying to get people to come into the church. The poor soul. Can he spend an hour in the morning? He's lucky he gets his liturgy in the Thanksgiving. Of course, when I'm hearing priest confessions, I insist that they shape up, you know. It's hard. You're a deacon. You know it's hard. But if you're just going through the uh, motions, it's not enough. We, what we have in our society is uh, neglect of spirituality, minimalism. Minimalism in our worship of God. We don't give the maximum. And if the priest gives the maximum, oh, he probably takes too much time. Excuse <laughs> my language. He's trying to do a good thing for those people. And they don't appreciate it. Well, he kept me in there an hour and a half. He gave a long sermon. Wonderful! John Chrysostom preached for hours. They all left. Poor John Chrysostom by himself. Huh? Quality time to God. Don't be a minimalist. What's the gospel say? Enter by the narrow gate. Sorry, that's what it says. <laughs> Father, um, do you have any recommendations of a, of a sort of place to start, perhaps a, a text to kind of start, um, 
I, I know you mentioned the latter um, is what you require of your your perspectives. Um, do you have any recommendations for lay people uh, as far as a sort of first book to start with? This is a addition uh, commentary on the latter for lay people. Mm. In and uh, I recommend that for the for a start. But they should not be afraid of the real meat, the real meal. They should not be afraid. The other thing is, I recommend the Orthodox Bible with the patristic commentary. It's in there. It follows our liturgy through. So, but that, that, there's a start. Then from there, once you get the vocabulary down, you can go into deep. Mm. Uh, everybody has to be brave and go into the deep. It's gorgeous. And you know, you may drown a little, but just push your head up. But don't sin, damn it. Don't. Oh, you said that. Get rid of those sins. Fall in love. You won't hurt anybody you love. Don't tell me you love God if you're not, if you still cling to your, you'll like your sins, you people. That's next week. You'll like your sins. I'm talking about asceticism next week, God willing. So that complements the spirituality and the mystical theology. The mystical theology is love and penance. Not penance to forgive, ask forgiveness of sin. Penance to make us one with God. Very positive. Okay. Any other questions? Uh, one more question. Uh, can you uh, just give us the name of that commentary on the Divine Liturgy? Uh, who was the author again? Schultz. Schultz. S C H U L T Z. And I, uh, the question came from Diana. Uh, Diana, I did look it up online, and it's available on Amazon for about twenty bucks. So it's only money, right? It's worth every dollar. <laughs> Father, we have just about two more minutes. Um, I was hoping you could mention um, something about your monastery's um, practice of of the feast yesterday. Yesterday was the entrance of the Theotokos. Um, what was, from a liturgical perspective, from a from a sort of life perspective, what what did you all do to celebrate? What does a feast in, in, in your uh, monastery look like? We had first, first Vespers, which we started in the dark with candles in our hands. And then we had the Gospels and the readings at uh, Vespers. And then we have Latia. I don't know if I can explain all this to them. And and then we go in and have our evening meal. And we don't eat Lent for these before uh, Christmas, but we, I mean, we have other nice things we eat. And then we, uh, we can have recreation that night. And we later on in the day, we, we say our rosary. We voted, everybody says the rosary together. In the morning, we get up and we drag ourselves to chapel. And we'd start with solemn matins. Mm. Incense the old chapel, say all the prayers. I don't know if people know what solemn matins is. All the readings, the canon, I think there's two canons that day. And for the gospel, everybody held candles because it's a, it's a feast of light. And all the monks and we gathered together and we held the gospel, I mean we held the candles. And then for the exaltation of the feast, we held candles. I don't know if you know, you know that. So anyway, Matins took about, it's not, it wasn't too bad, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Wonderful stuff, gorgeous. Especially the reading, terrific, you know, and the prayers, all Marian Psalms, you know, Psalm 45 and all that. And then uh, in the, uh, then we had the Eucharist. Okay, and then I gave a homily. But there was so much of the homily already in the matin service that I talked about something else, actually, that pertains to monks, you know, uh, in our life as monks. And then we went on, we had Eucharist. Then after Eucharist, we have uh, the one of the monks says and says the Thanksgiving. And then he says the first hour. Then we went and had breakfast. And we had a leisurely day. Well, some of us had a leisurely day. <laughs> And uh, 
It's, it's a magnet. All these feasts are magnificent, you know. But we have the full liturgical text of everything. The best we can do and we can find. And we act everything out through light and candles and incense. And the icon of the feast is there. It's, a, it's incense. And if we were a bigger community and the weather was better, we would take a procession at that point and take all the possible hymns that go with that. But usually we take four or five and, you know, and incense, and then I go out and get ready for the gospel. So that's what we do. All feasts are a big feast. How was that? Wonderful. I think Does it's that tell you anything? What's that? I think it's important for us to hear what you all are doing in, in the fullness of the tradition. Well, uh, that's what we're here for. That's our main job is to celebrate and the liturgy and pray, the hours, the Eucharist and everything. Uh, I was talking with the deacon today and I asked him, he was talking about other seminar, I mean other monasteries. And we came to the conclusion that different monasteries have different patinas, the way they do things, you know. And so that's probably truth in that. But we do, my feeling is if we don't do it all, we're uh, spinning our wheels. So we do everything yeah. as best we can. Sometimes it's difficult. I had a time, hard time getting the canons for, uh, the Marian canons for um, Compline. But I finally found them. And we have them almost every night unless some other canon is prescribed, you know. So not all monasteries take Compline. I think that's, uh, but we don't take the midnight hours. You can take that in your room as well, except occasionally we do because it's a particular text we should be celebrating, you know. So, but uh, we do pray about seven hours a day and we do our readings if best we can. And we say the Jesus prayer. There's no time to pray enough. What's the Bible say? Pray always. So what's our obligation? Pray always, as much as you can, to sanctify the world. They need it. We need it. How are we going to become temples of God, like Jesus, if we don't pray as much as we can? How are we living in the Holy Trinity if we don't pray like the angels? Monks are supposed to be living the angelic life. That don't mean they're angels. They certainly are not. But they pray like angels. And you know, the angels come and they kiss the monks. They love the monks. Because they're praying. Angels love us. And that's a good thing because there's enough devils around. We like to have the angels. There's enough devils. But they love us because we pray. You, you want the angels to love you? Pray. They love it. The temple, you go into the temple, it loves prayer. It likes to have somebody in. Don't want to sit there all week like a lump. They want somebody in there praying. Not just a little bit. There must be prayer in the temple. Okay. Wonderful. Father, that's, uh, that's all the questions that we had tonight. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention before we leave for the week? Well, don't eat too much turkey. You know, <laughs> enjoy your family. Love your family and pray with them. Remember, the family is the domestic church. And daddy, you should be the leader of prayer in your home, not mama. And you should light the icon corner and keep it lit and have every special icon out. There should be a special icon for every feast. Teach your children to fall in love with our holy Byzantine Catholic Church. Now we're going to say the prayer. Sound the trumpets and proclaim the praises. Praises to the Mother of the Lord our God. Entering the holy temple, she brings blessings from the Lord, who is the eternal word. Now the dove is entering in so gracefully, sweetness sounding fountain flowing joyfully. 
Strength of angels, queen of heaven, from all time the chosen mother of the never-setting sun. She is honored by the holy cherubim, greeted by the soaring six-winged seraphim. Angels circle round around the tabernacle filled with gracious holy gifts of the Lord. The blessing will be upon you is grace and loving kindness, always now and ever and forever. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Father.